So if you're here on Wednesday night, I promise you I'm going to teach you how to catch a monkey. If you weren't here on Wednesday night, right? Oh, you missed, right? Did they miss a great message Wednesday night or what? And this, th- this Wednesday, knowing where we're going, knowing where we're going. But I'm going to talk to you today about how to catch a monkey. Did you know that Jesus is in the monkey catching business? He may have caught you. So stand with me. We're going to read from Mark chapter 10, 17 through 22. The word of our Lord. Now as he was going out on the road, one came running, knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one that is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear fault witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he answered and said to him, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. And then Jesus looking at him, loving him, loved him, and said to him, One thing that you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have, and give it to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven, and come, take up your cross, and follow me. But he was sad at this word, and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord God, open up our hearts and minds to your word today. Give us ears to hear, Lord, and eyes to see, Lord God. Today could be the great day of people's salvation, and a day, Lord God, when, Lord God, maybe... We've been monkeying around, and it's a day, Lord God, for us to be set free, that we can truly, Lord God, become true Christians, cross-carriers, followers, not fans of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And we pray this, Lord, in your name. Amen. So how do you catch a monkey? Here it is. I'm going to give it to you right at the beginning. You don't have to wait until the end to get it. Okay? How do you catch a monkey? What you do, you get a big jar Okay, a big jar, you put a banana in it. And the monkey will reach inside the jar, close his fist on the jar, and he will not let go of the banana. Basically, he will not let go of the banana. And the only way he's going to get his hand out of the jar is if he lets go of the banana. But he will not let go of the banana. And basically what you do is he, I mean, if he's strong enough to pick up the jar, you go over and you throw a net around him and you catch a monkey. So next time you go to the Caribbean, you haven't know if you've been in Caribbean islands, they come and they steal your stuff, they'll steal your food. You can catch a monkey this way. Throw them in your suitcase, bring them home, and you'll have a monkey. Instead of going to the, a pet store and paying $500 for one, you could have one. I'm, I'm kidding. <laughs> See, the monkey grabs onto the b- banana, and he's not letting go. He's not letting go of the banana. And you know what? There are people like that. They got their hand in the jar, and they're clasping on to the banana, whatever that banana may be, but they refuse to let the banana go. Like the rich young ruler. I'm going to call him RYR throughout this message, okay? You know when I say RYR, I'm talking about the rich young ruler because the rich young ruler was like the monkey and he was grabbing on to the banana and he wasn't willing to let it go. He said he wanted eternal life, but he wasn't willing to let go of the banana. And what was the banana? Most people go immediately, they say money. I want to say this to you. His self-righteousness was making him blind to his idolatry and his God of money. Do you get that? 
but it was his self-righteousness that he was clinging to, and that kept him from being able to see. You see, he was, he was in denial, and denial is not only a river in Egypt. I think you, you realize it's one of the biggest problems that human beings have. They live in denial. They refuse to face the truth and come into the light. So he, he's clinging to this banana of his self-righteousness and to his love of stuff, and he's unwilling to let it go that he may have eternal life. So ultimately, really, self-righteousness is the main issue here. I think sometimes we miss this in this story. Remember the context of where we were last week. What was the message on last week? What? How many of you remember? What did you eat for dinner last night? Do you remember what you ate for breakfast this morning? Do you know where you are? What did we do last week? We talked about the little children in Jesus, and he said, for such is the kingdom of God, the little children. And why why is such is the kingdom of God? Because little children, they come to Jesus humbly. They don't come, there's no works, there's no deeds, there's no religiosity. He said, just for such is the kingdom of God. They haven't been baptized, they haven't been circumcised, just for such is the kingdom of God. In, In the context, it's about salvation righteousness. And he said, we have to come as little children to be saved. That's the only way we can come, in humility. In the Gospel of Luke, again, in the same context, Jesus tells the story of the Pharisee and tax collector. And the Pharisee and his religiosity and his self-righteousness stood there and said, how wonderful I am. Look at how wonderful I am. I I give my tithes, you know, I, I do this, I do that. And the tax collector stands there. He wouldn't even look up to the Lord, and he kind of beats his chest, looks down, and he says, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus said, which one walked away righteous? Not the self-righteous one, but the one who found God's righteousness by humbling himself and throwing him upon the mercy of the Lord. So when we come to this text here, it is the major issue, self-righteousness. And um, the money part of it kind of follows. So we're going to look at a, at a few key things here. The first thing I want you to notice is the commendable. So there, there are some things here in this, in this RYR that is very commendable. So let's, let, let's look at some. The first thing, in Mark chapter 10, 22, it says, But he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. He was rich. And I want to say this, that that is something that is commendable. He's wealthy. He had big bucks. He's rolling in in the dough, right? He was in the money, well off, well to do. By the way, there's nothing wrong with that. That's something never condemned. Solomon was rich. Uh, Abraham was rich. Job was rich. David was rich. Solomon was the richest man who ever walked the earth. And God actually blessed him with that. So the problem and you look a little further on in our text to Mark chapter 10, 23 through 25, notice what Jesus says. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were astonished at his words, but Jesus answered again and said to them, children, how hard it is for those who trust in riches. Do you see that? that that's the issue. It's not riches, is that they make trust their issue. RYR made trust, made, made, made essentially riches his trust instead of trusting in God. 
Riches were his, his God, essentially, instead of God being his God. Money was, again, his idol, instead of God being his God. So he says here, who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And, and they were greatly astonished, saying among themselves, who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, with men it is impossible, but not with God, for with God all things are possible. So the, the, really the, the issue is not about the money. The issue is essentially about his trust in the money, his, his love of the money. And he is just, you know, he, he's in this, this, this phase. Money was his God. Now, let me say, I want to say this to you about money. You know, people say, you know, money can't buy happiness. I'll tell you this, it can buy a level of peace and security. I'll be, be realistic. There, there is a point where, it, look, if you're in debt and the bill collectors are coming after you and you're wondering if you're going to have a car tomorrow or a place to live, you ain't going to be happy. You ain't going to be at peace. So there's, there's just a point when you, know, when you are being faithful to God and he's providing for you and you're paying your bills, you got a little bit of money in an you know, in a, in a emergency fund, you're investing and you're putting money away for your, your future and your retirement. And I'm not, I'm not talking about mass accumulation here. I'm just saying you, you, you will have a level of peace and security. If that's not happening, again, if you're wondering... If, right, the bill collector is going to come, if the landlord is going to say, get out of the house, you're not going to be at peace. So there's, there's just a level where, where some money is needed to have a level of, of contentment, a level of, of, of security, and, and, and a level of, of happiness. Now, what happens, you know, you start accumulating. And I want to tell you this. I see this all the time. So you, let's say you accumulate a million dollars. Two million dollars is not going to make you happier than a million dollars. And then if you get to five million dollars, five million dollars is not going to make you happier than having two million dollars. And ten million dollars, it's, 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 it's not. It's not going to make, you know, it's not going to, and people, again, that's one of the delusions that people have of when it comes to money. But the issue is not money. The issue is money, or, is it your God? Is it what you're putting your trust in? So look at, look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, 17 through 19. This is for rich people. Command those who are rich in the present age not to be haughty. Now, now notice the Lord says, if you're rich in the present age, he's not saying go sell everything you have. But he says, don't be haughty, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Hey, have you looked at your 401ks lately? Right, market was at thirty-six thousand, down to thirty thousand. Don't be surprised if it goes down to twenty thousand. Don't be surprised if it goes down to fifteen thousand. But you're going to see is a whole lot of people are absolutely freaking out and miserable because their trust was in money instead of being in God. So it says in verse eighteen, "Let them do good." Right here it is. You got money? Let them do good that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. You got money, be generous. Give. You know, just people, money doesn't make you different. What money does is it just makes you more of what you are. <laughs> and a greedy person who gets money, they're just, they're just greedy. 
And a poor person who, who, who gets money, if they're greedy being poor, they're still, they're still greedy. I've seen poor people who, are as, who is, are as greedy as can be. And I've seen rich people who are as greedy as can be. And I've seen poor people who are incredibly generous. And I've seen rich people who are incredibly generous. But money, money just makes you more of what you are. It just kind of magnifies what you are. So Luke chapter 9, 14. Again, here's, here's a, a warning about money. It says, now the ones that fell among the thorns, right? The sowers, uh, you know, he's sowing his seed and it fell amongst the thorns. And when they uh, have heard go out and are choked, right? Choked by the cares, riches, and pleasures of life and bring no fruit to maturity. They've come to know about Jesus, but they're choked. They're choked by, again, by money, by pleasure. And um, again, what, what happens there? Money is their God. Money is their idol. That's where their, their trust is. So, um, again, having money. If you have money, good for you. It depends what you do with it. It depends what kind of steward you are of it. So this, this guy having money, right, he was blessed. He was blessed, but he made it his God. And uh, that brought a curse. Second thing here. It says, the young man, I'm going to go to Luke 18, 20. The young man said to him, all these things I have kept from my youth, what do I still lack? And notice he's a young man, right? He's, he's rich and he's young. And I'll tell you, that's a great accomplishment. Because most people get rich, don't get rich when they're young. Right? He, he, kind of, he kind of like, man, this guy, he's beaten the curve. He, he's beaten the trend. He, he's beaten the odds. He's young and he's rich. And that is, that is an, a very impressive thing. I have, I have a guy that I, I know who uh, I do business with. He's 21 years old. He has a net worth of $14 million. He made his first million at 17 years old. And um, he's now, and he's a Christ, devout Christian kid. He's down in Florida. I mean, he loves the Lord. He's got, he's got a, uh, his own station on YouTube, and he's, he's got thousands and thousands of followers. But um, he talks about Jesus all the time. He loves the Lord. But he's, made, he's accumulated a, a net worth of $14 million. I admire him for being able to do that. He's young and he's rich. And money's not his God. It's not an idol. So it's, it says he was young and he was rich. And then it says now a certain ruler, Luke 18, 18. He was a ruler. Asked him saying, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And this is speaking about he was a ruler in the synagogue, not a rabbi. He is um, what they would call, and I hate this term, a lay leader. So it, w- it, would be like, it would be like here, Pastor Lou and I, if this was a synagogue, we're the rabbis. Okay, we're, we're on the payroll. We get a salary from the church. But then there, there are, are lay leaders, and Pastor Sam, is a, is a, he's, a, he's a pastor, and you've got Joe Zambito, Right, Tom and Tom and Faith. Uh, you got Manny, you got Antonio, you got Michael, you got Sue, Diane. Right, they're they're essentially they're leaders, okay, and they lead, lead different ministries. But uh, we we would be the rabbi. So this guy, he was he was like an Antonio. He he was like a, a, a Tom, and uh, and he had he had been really raised up to this great place of leadership. And again, being a leader when he's young, he's rich. He's young, and he's a leader in the synagogue. And it kind of tells me 
He's a moral man. Right? He wouldn't have gotten there if he was immoral. The Jews are very, very, very strict, right, about, about morality. They get into the orthodox, orthodox. He was a moral guy. And he gained his wealth morally. He gained his wealth through ingenuity, through discipline, through hard work, through diligence, through creativity. That's how you get wealthy. And, um, and he was respectable. So in verse 17 of Mark 10, watch this. Now, he was going out on the road, and one came running and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He comes running to Jesus. Man, this guy, this guy, I mean, he's serious, right? You look at this. He, he's, he's running. There's urgency. He's, he's a serious guy. Undignified thing. In, we talked about this with the prodigal father. Undignified for a man to run. I mean, he had to take his, he got to take his outer garment and his tunic and pull it up between his legs. And it was just kind of an undignified thing. And he, he is running to the He didn't have to be dragged. His wife didn't have to drag him there if he had a wife. You know, I see wives, they drag the husbands to church. Or they're, they're dragging their kids to church. No, this guy just, he, he is like, man, he is just running to Jesus. How exciting, how exciting is that, right? If you're a preacher, you see people running, running. You get excited about that. And he says, and he knelt, he, honoring Jesus, respect. He he's, takes this humble posture. And then he says, he says, good teacher, agathos. Agathos, you're going to remember that word, agathos, key, key part of this passage. That means good to the core. I mean, he's, he's good through and through. You're a, you're a good teacher. And he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Wow. If someone came walking up to you today and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Right? What would you do? Right? What would you do? Somebody comes, I mean, it comes up to me today. What must I do to inherit eternal life? The word eternal life, eanos. Not, not only life everlasting, but it's really about, it's God life. It's the God life now. The abundant life now. What must I do to experience salvation? What would you do? Right? What, what, what would you do? This, this guy, man, this guy, something's missing in his life, Right? There's something missing. And it even says in, in Matthew 19, 20, it says, and the young man said to him, all these things, I, right? Oh, I'm sorry. He, when, when he said, all these things I have kept from my youth, but he, he says, what do I still lack? There's something lacking, right? Something is, is missing. There's a missing piece to the puzzle, something that he's longing for. Jeez, you know, he's like, there's got to be more. Have you ever been there? There's got to be more. I got money. I got influence. I'm young. My whole life is ahead of me. But something's missing. And he's, and he's you know, the, the, he's missing piece to the puzzle. Something is missing in my life. Sometimes you got to get the stuff that you think is going to make you happy to realize that it won't make you happy. I was once having dinner in Florida. Two, two extremely wealthy men doing business with their companies. And I mean, extremely well. One is a billionaire now. 
The other one, I don't know, it's worth $250 million or something. And I didn't know that they were Christians. They didn't know I was a Christian. I was a pastor. I said, can I pray for you? Can I pray for your businesses? And they said, sure. And I, I, I prayed a prayer over them, their wives, their kids, their, their business, prayed for their success. And then they, they began to share with me about their faith. And basically what they both said was, we had to get it all to finally realize that it would never meet the need in our hearts. So they become multimillionaires, and it's then that they realize that, that what they thought was going to make them happy and satisfied couldn't. And all the stuff in the world never can. And uh, they gave their lives to Jesus. But uh, that's kind of where this guy is. He's got it all. I mean, he's a leader, right? He's young, he's rich, and he's just like, something is missing in my life. And so he, he comes, and again, he, he, he kneels before Jesus. I mean, it seems like, right, he's ready to be saved. Like, wouldn't, you, wouldn't you think that this guy, this guy, I mean, he is ripe. <laughs> he's ripe for the picking, He's ready, he's ready for uh, eternal. He's qualified, right? He's, I mean, he's just in the position. What would you do? What would you do? Right? They come running up to you, and they whoops. what must I do to inherit eternal life? So maybe you're sitting there thinking, right, you, you know the Roman road track or the Roman road? You go right to the Roman road. You, you open your Bible, say, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Right? That's Romans 6, uh, 3.23. And the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. And if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Go right there, right? I think most people would. Or, or maybe, right, maybe you do, <laughs> maybe you do the, I've done these drawings with people through the years, done them on, on, geez, on uh, webinars with people, and, uh, you know, here we are, right, you're, see, you see here, rich young ruler, right, you're, you're, you're in sin here, and the wages of sin is death, and, and God is on the other side of this great, this great gulf, right, you can't get there, you can't get there through your works, you can't get there through religion, you can't get there through baptism. You need to get there by the bridge. Jesus is the bridge. So if you will believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be saved. But Jesus didn't do that. No Roman path. No drawing. He didn't even say to him, all right, let's pray the sinner's prayer. Right? Oh God, forgive me for my sins. I've sinned against you. I've sinned against others. I've even sinned against myself, Lord. And I believe Jesus died for me on the cross and was raised from the dead. And Jesus, I take you into my... He didn't do that. He didn't do any of those things. No invitation. No sinner's prayer. No drawing of the bridge. No Roman road to salvation. He didn't do any of that. Why? So let's look at the second point because there's a problem. Sometimes I, I focus on the problem. Like, there's a lot of problems you see in the Gospels. and Sometimes people come up to me and say, why did you have to focus on the problem? <laughs> because it's there. See, he's a seeker. But a lot of times, and I'll tell you this, after preaching here for years, I see seekers come in and out of this church every week. 
and they could be seeking meaning. They may be seeking purpose. They may be seeking happiness or success. Maybe they're seeking a spouse or seeking a physical healing, but they're not seeking God. They're not, they're not seeking Jesus. So it's, it's kind of a superficial, shallow form of seeking. So Jesus, by the way, he never gave him, right, the sinner's prayer. He didn't even ask him to make a decision or to make a commitment. He didn't do any of those things. Watch what he does. In verse 17 through 18, now as he was going out on the road, one came running, knelt before him, and he asked him, good teacher, right? He calls Jesus good teacher. And he says, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, and that is God. So he calls him good. By the way, I'll ask you, if I asked you today, are you good? I think a lot of you, you know, you may be saying, well, here maybe I wouldn't say it. But you, you, yeah, I'm, I'm good. I'm a good person. You go outside. Go out there and ask people if they're good. You can go to prison and ask people if they're good. They'll tell you they're good. Yeah, I'm a, you know, I made a mistake. But I'm really a, you know, I'm a, I'm a good person. But notice what Jesus says here. He says, only God is good. Only God is agathos. See, only God is good to the core. In, in Revelation chapter 15, they, they sing the song of Moses. For thou alone are holy. We're not holy. For thou alone are holy. God is the only one who is truly, truly holy. Sinless, pure, perfect. Let God be true. And every man a liar. Have you found out to be true? <laughs> People just, just lie. So God is the only one who is agathos. So this guy, R-Y-R, kind of throwing around. He's throwing around agathos. He's throwing around the word. He doesn't really know what it means. Nor does he know Jesus. Because he doesn't believe Jesus is God. But he's a good teacher. You're Agathos. But he also believed that he was Agathos. So he's just kind of carelessly throwing the word. Now, I just want to say this to you. There's only one degree of good. If you understand what Jesus is saying here. Get this. There's only one degree of good. And that's God. We we don't use Agathos for for people. (laughs) Only God is good. There's only one degree. Now, when it comes to bad, there are many degrees. Many degrees. There are people who are badder. I don't know if badder is a word, but there are people who are badder than other people. I think you, you, you realize that, right? So people say, you know what? You know, I'm, really, I'm not that bad, right? I'm, I'm not like, right? I'm not like the, 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 you know, a murderer. I'm not like a, 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 an adulterer. I'm not like a, a thief. Right? I'm not, I'm, not like the, I'm not like Adolf Hitler. I mean, he was really bad. Charles Manson, really bad. The kid who went up and shot up all those poor people up in Buffalo, right? He was really bad. 
but um, you know, I'm, I'm not quite. So there are different degrees of bad. But when it comes to good, there's only one degree. And again, he's not quite grasping on to that. By the way, he also thought he was good. He thought he was Agathos. He thought he was good to the, uh, good to the core. Because he had, he had no need of repentance. There's, there's no admission here of sin, of falling short of the glory of God. Realize that, here's a Romans chapter 3, verse 10 and verse 23, and you can read all the verses in between that basically say the same thing. As it is written, there is no one righteous, no, not one, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. By the way, not to believe that truth, that we are sinners, will damn you to hell. Self-righteous people, hell will be filled with them. Hell will be filled with self-righteous people. Hell, if you are self-righteous and you think you can get to heaven through your own righteousness or somehow become acceptable to God by not being so bad or living a delusional life that you're somehow so good, you'll be in hell surrounded by a crowd of people who think just like you, self-righteous people. And he says there'll be gnashing of teeth. That's not like, oh, I'm so unhappy being here. That's not what it is. The gnashing of teeth is they're angry at God. I wasn't good enough. And they refuse the grace of God. So Mark, Mark 10, 19 through 20, he asks them again, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus says, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he answered and said to him, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. And Jesus now is exposing his self-righteousness. Jesus now is exposing that he's got his hand right in the monkey jar clinging to the banana of his self-righteousness. I just want you to look at this realistically here, folks. Just the Ten Commandments. How many of them do you think he has broken? Well, just look at, like, thou shalt have no other gods before me, and Jesus exposed, his God was money. Down with that, thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. Money was his idol. Money was his idol. Just here. Honor your father and mother. Do you think he honored his mother and father perfectly? Come on. Come on, man. Okay, so thou shalt not kill. Maybe, maybe he didn't kill anybody. Thou shalt not commit adultery. He never committed adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Maybe he never stole, never stole anything. Thou shalt not bear false witness against your neighbor. That's lying. Do you think he ever told a lie? <laughs> and, that's, and that's, by the way, that's what we call the letter of the law. Remember, Jesus, he taught us about the spirit of the law. By the way, if, if you are focused on the letter of the law, you will be a very cold-hearted person. Because it's really the spirit of the law that softens our hearts. Brings us to a place of forgiveness, compassion, and love. But the spirit of... Here, I'll just focus on one simple verse. In Matthew chapter 5, 27 through 28. 
You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. How y'all doing? (laughs) Right? That That just sunk our ship. And by the way, it's true of women too. Maybe not to the same degree as men. So RYR, right? He obviously has looked at a woman, you know, fantasized. But IOR has a problem. He has, he has a mega dose of self-righteousness. Nelly, mucho self-righteousness. Grande self-righteousness. I'm good. I keep all the commandments. I've kept them since I was a child. You know what you call that? You know what you call that? That's a first-class ticket to hell. That's what that is. Again, hell will be filled with self-righteous people who had their hand in the jar and refused to let go of their banana, self-righteousness. So the challenge... Verse 21, 22. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, One thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven, and come take up your cross and follow me. But he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. I just want you to notice this. Jesus loved him. He loved him enough to confront him intensely about his sin. And he loves us enough to confront us intensely about our sin. He is not afraid to offend us. He's not afraid to get in our face, to get in our grill, and to offend us, to disturb us, to afflict us, to give us nightmares. He's not afraid to do... He's not some smiley preacher who just itches people's ears while his congregation is on its way to hell. He got in people's faces and he confronted them. And he says to them, one thing you lack. Here's the issue. You want eternal life? There's one thing. There's one thing that's keeping you from eternal life. You see, you're blind to this one thing, RYR. You're blind to it. You're blind to this sin that you're clinging to. That's his self-righteousness. But the one thing is that you love your money more than you love God. And he's a ruler in the synagogue. And he knows Shammai. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. He knows that. But he doesn't love God. He loves his stuff. His stuff. So that's the one thing. His idol. His idol is money. And he is blinded by his self-righteousness to that fact. Again, Jesus doesn't say, you know, you, today if you're, not, if you're not a Christian, if you haven't given your life to Jesus Christ and been born again, you come to Jesus. He's not asking you to go sell everything. He's not asking you to do that. Unless it's your God. 
Are you clinging to something that's going to... You got your hand in that jar and you, you, you ain't letting it go. That's going to keep you from coming to Jesus. He's going to tell you to let go of it. And unless you let go of it, you can't receive the gift of eternal life. He says, let go of it and you'll receive it. And then he says, take up your cross. What is the cross a symbol of? It's a symbol of death. It's a death machine. It's like the electric chair. It's a symbol of, of death. And RYR needed to die. What did he need to die to? His self-righteousness. He needed to die to his self-righteousness. His, this, this, this self-righteousness, again, that was blinding him from this idolatry of, of this love for stuff. Let me say this. I, man, I need to take up my cross every day and die to my self-righteousness. Because I could really be a self-righteous person. I'm very aware of it. And I need to die to my love of stuff because God has given me a lot of stuff. And I need to die to that every day and seek Him first and His kingdom instead of stuff. And that's just a daily thing that, that, that I need to do. You know, there, there's a, a, a teaching that has been in the church for almost 2,000 years that RYR was Mark who wrote this gospel. Did you ever hear that? Faith, I've taught you something. RYR, rich young ruler, was actually, they say, that it was John Mark because he, he seems to know things about this situation that the others didn't know. And that John Mark, he walked away from Jesus at this time, but later he came back. I, I hope that's true. I, I like that. You know, it doesn't say it clearly in Scripture, but I, I, boy, I, I hope that's true. But either way, by the way, RYR has learned this lesson. He's learned, right now, wherever RYR is, he's learned this lesson. And if he's in hell, he learned it the hard way. And if he's in heaven, he learned it the easy way. And then Jesus says to him, follow me. Follow me. Go sell everything, take up your cross, and follow me. And it's sad. Probably one of the sadder passages in the entire Gospels but he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. He was unwilling to let go of the banana. And you know what the truth of the matter is? Satan made a monkey of him. And Satan will make monkeys of people and take them to hell. People who are unwilling to give up something, right? They're unwilling to lose something that ultimately they can never have eternally to get the greatest possession that anyone can have and have it for all eternity. So what do we learn? What do we learn from RYR? You know, every, every passage in the Bible, I hope when you're reading the Bible, you learn. 
because there's great life lessons. Life lessons for every, not just, you're just about life, about marriage, about family, about raising kids, about being successful, about being fulfilled. All these great lessons are in the Bible, and you can learn them. You read Joseph, you read Joseph in Genesis, right, 37 through 50. Man, you learn about perseverance, endurance, persistence, about not quitting. You read about Moses, right? I mean, Moses, another, never give up. I read about Paul, his tenacity, his relentlessness. But then you read about people like the rich young ruler or Judas, you know the rich fool. Remember Jesus told the story of the rich fool who had all his barns filled with grain and then he said, hey, I'm just going to make bigger barns and eat, drink, and be merry. And what did God say? Tomorrow you die. It's too late. So what do you learn? Here's just a few simple applications here. Are you a fan or a follower? You've got to ask yourself that question because I think in the church there are a lot of fans. He was a big fan. He's a big, big fan. He ran to Jesus, fell at his feet, calls him good. I mean, he's a big freaking fan. Man, this guy, this guy is, you know, the fan of the year. He's the fan of all fans. But he's not a follower. When it came time to follow, he walked away. Being a fan of Jesus won't save you. It won't save you. I think, again, I think there are going to be many fans who end up in hell. But you must become a follower. His, his question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Again, there's a piece missing, right? Even though, right, he was, he was a ruler, he was rich, right? He, he was... He was Young, he had it all, but he was missing the peace. I'm glad I found the peace when I was young because I was missing it. You know, Sue and I, we, we were 22, 23 years old. We got married. We didn't have any problems. You know, people come to Jesus when they have problems. We didn't have any problems. I loved her. She loved me, right? I married this, this, beautiful, this beautiful woman who's still very beautiful. And um, we were in love with each other. We had good families. We had a nice place to live. We had nice cars. We had new cars. Traveling. Right? We, we, had it, we, we had it all that young people can have. Our whole life before us. We were on the road to greater things. And every once in a while we'd look at each other and we'd say, something's missing. Something, the stuff that we thought was going to make us, right, right, happy, is this, there's something missing. And Jesus was the missing piece that completed the puzzle of our life. It's Jesus, by the way. I hope you understand that. Jesus is eternal life. <laughs> it's not eternal life and then Jesus over here. He's it. It comes with him. It's a byproduct of him. Right? Look, at, look at 1 John 5.20. It says, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. We won't get eternal life through religion. 
You won't get eternal life by belonging to a church. You won't get eternal life by going through some ritual. You get eternal life by coming into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Coming to know him. Coming to take him into your life as your Lord and as your Savior. That's how you get eternal life. Now, the passage ends when Jesus said, how hard it is for a rich man, right, to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And remember, the apostles were all astonished. Why? Because the concept in the time of Jesus was, if you were rich, you were blessed by God. So they thought, it just was like Job's friends, if you're rich, you are greatly blessed by God, and it's the poor people who are cursed. And if you read Job, you see that, well, three friends kept reiterating that to him. The reason you're going through this is because you're a sinner. But the righteous are always blessed by God. By the way, you get that today in the health and prosperity gospel, which is a false gospel. And by the way, most of your teachers that you watch on the television shows teach that. And what a great message it is for greedy Americans. Come to Jesus, he'll make you rich. Come to Jesus, he'll make you successful. Come to Jesus, he'll make you prosperous. What a, I mean, when we could fill this place ten times over, I, I could really get into that. And then maybe I end up in hell for eternity. They believed that he was rich. So Jesus says, it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And that's why they're so shocked. If the rich can't do it, what about the rest of us? We're just a bunch of smelly fishermen and a tax collector and a zealot. How are we going to get into it? And what does Jesus say? With God, all things are possible. Because now we're talking not about works. We're talking about grace. All things are possible. So why don't you just, just watch this final, the final word here. In Mark chapter 10, 28 to 31. Then Peter, right? <laughs> compulsive Peter. <laughs> He's got obsessive compulsive disorder. Then Peter began to say to him, See, we have left all and followed you. So Jesus answered and said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the Gospels, who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions, and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. If you look at that, man, that, that, you could take that thing, pop it out of the context. That is a prosperity message, right? We have left all things to follow Jesus, and we're going to be rich. What is he talking about? Because if this was the case, hey, we'd all have the wealth of Elon Musk and Bill Gates. What is he talking about here? When you come to Jesus, look around. How many mothers do you have? How many fathers do you have? When you plug into a church like this, if you're a wanderer who goes from church to just wander around, wander, you're not going to experience this. But if you have plugged into the church, you will have many mothers and many fathers and many sisters and many brothers. I have had many fathers, and God bless my earthly father, 
But man, I'll tell you something. They're, most of them have gone home to be with the Lord. But I have had some wonderful fathers in Christ who loved me and mentored me and cared for me. And I can sit here, I could give you 10 names. And I have had some wonderful mothers. What do you need? Keys. Oh. Apparently my car is blocking in someone. But that's what he is talking about. And we share our lives together. It's not a socialistic church, but we share our lives together. We look out for one another. We care for each other. Somebody's in need, we provide for them. That's what the church, that's what, that's what Jesus is talking about there. It's not, it's not saying we're all going to be rich multimillionaires. That's not what he's saying. But that we look out for one another and love one another. And in the life to come, tremendous abundance and blessing. But that's the word. So learn the lesson from the rich young ruler. If, if, if by chance, right, where you are today, are you clinging on to a banana that's keeping you from eternal life? I don't know what it is. But if you are, you know what it is. And it could be money. It could be stuff. It could be a career. It could be, again, your own pride and ego. And that'll damn you right to hell. So you need to let go and get your hand out of the jar. Come to Jesus. Amen? Let's pray together. Today, there will be no sinner's prayer. Today, there will be no Roman road. Today, there will be no drawing of salvation. If you've got your hand in the jar, you need to let go of it and come to Jesus. Holy Spirit, have your way with us here as we wrap up the service. Convict. Do your thing, Lord God, amongst us. May your will be done. In Jesus' name.